35, verse number 33. The Bible says there, it says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Verse 33 sums up the chapter quite well. The title of the message tonight is this, Love and Respect. Love and Respect. Let's pray. I pray, Lord, you'd help the message to make sense to us. Speak through me. Lord, if there's something I have planned to say that you don't want said, please help me to nix it. And as you took over Balaam's mouth and blessed your people through him, would you take over my vocal cords and tongue and speak through me? I pray, Lord, that tonight marriages would be made better and stronger. Future marriages would be what they ought to be. And the children in the room would begin to grasp these concepts at such a young, developmental, and tender age. Help us, Lord, to be tuned in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you were to come uh, with your spouse to my office, or you were to come in for premarital counseling, or you were to come in and say, Pastor, I want to be a better husband or wife, or Pastor, I want to be the best future husband or wife that I can be, what advice would you give me? We would turn to Ephesians 5, we would look at verse 33, and much of what I would say is what I will share with you tonight. Uh, At times tonight, I do plan on preaching and not just teaching. Much of tonight will be teachy in nature. Um, but um, I want the overall vibe and feel tonight to be that of you sitting in my office across the desk from me, or maybe across the living room on a couch with my wife and I, and uh, this being more of a counseling type session. Uh, the second thing I want to say tonight by way of introduction is forget about your spouse or your future spouse and worry about yourself. I don't want to see any elbows flying tonight. I don't want any mental elbows thrown. I don't want you to sit there and go, I hope you're listening right now. Although, Jake, you probably need a couple elbows after what you pulled earlier in the service with Rose there. So, um, you, can, you can elbow him. Go ahead, Rose. Go ahead and give it to him. All right. Uh, but uh, no elbows tonight. Uh, focus on what you can do to be better. Focus on what you can do to be better. Unfortunately, we live in a day and age where folks are becoming more and more twisted, more and more broken, more and more narcissistic in nature, and it is harder and harder to hold to marriage principles. It is nearly impossible to keep a marriage strong when only one of the two Parties in the marriage are committed to following the Bible model. The book of Amos says, can two walk together except they be agreed? And the answer to that is no. No. Two cannot walk together except they be agreed. I have um, tragically known some Christians who've married. And the person they married was not who they claimed to be before marriage. And made no effort to be the godly spouse they were committed to be prior to marriage once in the marriage. There will be those that listen to this sermon, whether here or online, a 
sermon like this is hard to listen to. Because you'll sit there and say, what could have I done different? What should have I done different? If you were married to someone who is not committed to holding up the biblical model of marriage, and that marriage is now over, my friend, this sermon is in no way meant to throw any stones at you. It's not meant to guilt trip you or make you feel bad about anything. In the room uh, uh, alone tonight, there are several that fit that. I know there are several online, and through the series of these sermons being distributed, there will be several that hear this. I will say this. If you were in that boat, whether you're in that boat or not, this material is still important. This material is still important because you have a voice with the next generation. Take it and teach it. Take it and teach it to those that are younger than you, whether you have children or not. Whether you are a parent or you just have influence over children in some way, take the information and share it. Well, tonight I want to give you three uh, different thoughts on this idea of love and respect, and I want the message to be biblical. Before we get into the outline, did everybody get a handout? Does anybody need a handout? If you need a handout, our ushers have uh, plenty of extras, and so if you need one, just hold your hand up, and our ushers will be happy to get you one. Guys, it looks like you did a good job. We only have one hand down here in the front. Uh, Other than that, it looks like everybody got one, so great job, guys. Okay, let's jump in tonight and look at uh, three thoughts on this idea of marital love and respect. Uh, number one, number one, God's system for marriage. God's system for marriage. Believe it or not, when God created marriage, He didn't create it and then say, oh, now I've got to figure out how to make this thing go, how to make this thing work. God created man, and then He created woman, and he created them different for the purpose of completing each other. And so, inside the emotional boundaries of marriage, the two offer a different set of things that come alongside and complete. Well, let's look at this tonight. Let's jump in and notice letter A, responsibilities. Responsibilities. What are the responsibilities of a husband and wife in marriage. We'll look back at Ephesians 5.33. Again, verse 33 uh, is a quick synopsis or a summary of verse 21 down through the end of the chapter. Verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. All of the men, if you mark in your Bibles, you need to make sure you have underlined love his wife. Men, that's what you're called to do. Ladies, if you mark in your Bibles, you need to underline the phrase that says, uh, uh, wives see that she reverence her husband. Future wives, uh, potential wives, underline that phrase. And here we find the responsibilities. Husband, in your, on your bulletin there, husband, love your wife. Love your wife. That is what God has called you to do. You need to love her both with quality love and a quantity of love. Let's look at quality of love. Look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5 there. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it. Most men, if you handed them a piece of paper and a pen and you said, write down what it means to love your wife, they would run, they would hit writer's block after about the first two or three sentences, maybe the first paragraph or two. Listen, God has called you to love that woman that He's given you or that future woman that He will give you and you need to know what it means to love her. You are to love her with the same depth that Christ loves His church. How much does Christ love the church? Well, He laid down His life for it. He laid down His life for it. Look, I don't care how inconvenient at times your wife might make life. I don't care how frustrated you are with her at times. You are to love her regardless of her behavior. I am so glad God does not turn on and off His love for the church based on how the church and those in the church behave. No, God is consistent with His love. He's infinite with His love. He's committed in His love. The quality of love that God gives the church is a quality that is unmatched. It is a quality that is pure. And the pureness of the love that God gives His church is so pure that it will wash and sanctify it by the cleansing of the water of His Word. You read on down, you find that truth. And that is what the husband's love is to do for the wife. It is to wash her. It is to, it is to be a loving approach in leadership of his wife. The wife, uh, so quality and then quantity. Quantity. Look down with me at verse number 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. We did this last week. I had all the men stand up when we looked at the men's role in marriage and I looked, I eyeballed y'all up and I said, you're well fed. You're well fed and you do a really good job of taking care of your own bodies. And you know, men, we are to the same, uh, uh, the same way we love ourselves, we are to turn around and love our wife. Men are really, really good at loving on themselves regularly. Boy, we buy the toys we want. Uh, we go the places we want. We eat the things we want. And men, we are to show our wife the same quantity of love that we show ourselves. In fact, you're better off if you will just put your wife's, go ahead and put your wife's needs ahead of yours. Ahead of yours. Some men love an inch wide and a mile deep. You're really good at loving your wife in one way. Boy, somebody tonight really needs to hear this. I hope all the men, all you, all you thick-headed, dense, uh, shallow-minded, uh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say all that. Uh, some of you men, I hope you're sitting up tonight. Somebody here needs this. You love an inch wide and a mile deep. There's one area you're really good at loving your wife, and you're really, really good at that, but boy, it begins and it ends there begins and it ends there. Other men here tonight, you love your wife a mile wide, but only about an inch deep. Oh, you're doing this and you're doing that, but you don't do any of it really well. You ever heard that phrase? Uh, how's it go? Let's see. Uh, 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 see. Uh, good. Uh, to, somebody knows what I'm trying to say here. Someone's reading my mind. Master of none. Jack of all trades. Master of none. There it is. Jack of all trades. Master or not. Hey, this is harder than it looks. Amen. Uh, Jack of all trades, master of Some of you men are really good at all kinds of ways. You throw love out there for your wife, but it's shallow. It's shallow. As a husband, you need to learn to love your wife a mile wide and a mile deep. A mile wide and a mile deep. Boy, buckle down, hunker down, and learn how to love her. Learn her needs and care for her. I say this in my Sunday school class often, 
But uh, I want, my goal in marriage is that I want to earn my doctorate degree in Angela Segura Lejeune. I want to earn a doctorate degree. When I married her, I was in about the eighth grade in getting to learn her, how to love her. Boy, I thought I loved her on her wedding day, and I did. I loved her as much as I could. But every day I've lived with her since, coming up on 12 years this June, has been another step in the journey of learning how to love her deeper and greater. And i got to tell you guys, I'm not perfect at it. I have my selfish weeks and selfish times, and I make my share of mistakes, but I can only love her if I know her. And I can only know her if I'm willing to spend time with her. My goal is to be able to be able to anticipate what she's going to do and need, and fill that need ahead of her even knowing that she needs it. One time I walked in and she was all upset and I said to her, I said, what's wrong? And she said, I don't know what's wrong. You tell me what's wrong. And I said, how can I figure you out if you can't even figure yourself out? And she stopped and laughed and she said, you're right. I can't even figure myself out. My goal one day is to be able to love my wife on such a level that I'm able to anticipate and know what she needs and love her ahead of that. Men, I don't care if you've been married for, for 40 days or 40 years. This is something we can all improve in. The men's role as a husband is to love his wife. A wife's role is to respect her husband. It is to respect her husband. Look back with me at Ephesians 5.33. It says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now that word reverence, that is a, that is a word that is, is very intense. That is an intense word. Here is the Bible dictionary that I have back in my office. Here is how it defines the word reverence. This will not be up on the screen. So I'm going to read it twice, and I'll read it slowly so you can write it down. Here's what it means. It means to have such awe or respect for a person as to invoke a measure of fear. To show great respect for. To have such awe or respect for a person as to invoke a measure of fear. Wow. To show great respect for. Are you ladies in such awe? Look, I know that this flies in the face of the feminist movement in our country, but hogwash on the feminist movement. It's broken, and you look at the society, how it does marriage, and what's their divorce rate? And I would challenge anyone who's listening to this sermon and calling it shallow-minded or bigoted in nature, you go ahead and find for me one couple that follows the biblical model and is committed to it that is miserable and bring them to me. Go ahead and find me just one. They're not out there. You find a couple that's doing it the Ephesians 5 way that's miserable, I'd be shocked. The the Bible, if you follow God's model for marriage, you can call it shallow-minded and bigoted and anti-feminist all you want, but you find me a couple that's committed to do this and is doing it the right way, and I'll show you a couple that is happily married, that is joyous in their marriage, that is completing each other, that is fulfilled in every way. For every couple you can find that is doing it the biblical way, and and not happy, I can show you tens of thousands of marriages that are broken from following some feminist model. The Bible says, ladies, you're to reverence your husband. You're to have such an awe or respect for him that it invokes a measure of fear. You show great 
respect for Him. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter number 3 with me. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at a verse that gets made fun of a lot in the Bible. And I have, uh, I've had a good time around this verse. It doesn't fit our culture today. And I'm not saying that we need to leave here t- tonight, ladies, doing this. But I think it makes the point about reverence uh, from back in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at 1 Peter 3 verse 5. It says, for after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection under their own husband. Look at verse uh, 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, why? Because she revered him, calling him Lord, whose daughters are ye as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Sarah had such a deep reverence for her husband. The Bible says she obeyed him. She obeyed him and she called him Master or Lord. There was a deep reverence there. You say, Pastor Lejeune, I listen to that and my flesh does not like it. I would tell you that you do not need to take that up with me. You need to take that up with the Lord in prayer. Oh, and by the way, it gets more intense than this. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 16. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 16 quickly. It's the first book of the Bible. I I think everyone here is capable of finding Genesis 3.16. It says there, and here we find God punishing Adam and Eve and the the serpent for having eaten the fruit. It says unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. He shall rule over thee. So what is the responsibility of the wife, it is to respect her husband. Respect her husband. God has a system in marriage. He has given the husband and wife different roles to fulfill within the union of marriage. Letter B, notice, reward. Reward. Love and respect, God's system of marriage. We looked at responsibilities. Now we're going to look at reward. Reward. Here is the neat thing about this idea of love and respect. All right, let's, let me give you the uh, uh, let me give you the the blanks here below reward, and then I'll, I'll I'll teach it. Wife gets loved. By the way, there's a typo on there. My apologies. There's an apostrophe in a place it shouldn't be. All right, so overlook that. Uh, wife gets loved. Husband gets respected. Husband gets respected. Here we have this really neat idea that if a husband will love his wife, that will encourage her to want, biblically love his wife, that will encourage the wife to want to respect the husband. I want you to imagine with me, this isn't original with me, but it's so good I'm going to use it here. I want you to imagine with me that there is a lifeline connected from the husband to the wife, a respiratory oxygen line that flows from the husband to the wife, and there is one that flows from the wife to the husband. So, what is that oxygen that uh, that the husband gives his wife? It's love. That's what makes the marriage go. When a husband loves his wife, he is feeding uh, breath into the marriage. And the wife turns around with that love, and she gives the responsibility of respect. And the responsibility of the wife is the reward of the husband. And the responsibility of the husband is the reward of the wife. And here you have 
this beautiful cycle of a husband who loves his wife. And a wife who feels loved and turns around and respects her husband. And because the husband feels respected, he turns around and loves his wife. And because she feels loved, she turns around and shows respect to her husband. And the wheel picks up speed and goes faster and faster and faster and faster. And you have this marriage that just flows in harmonious beauty that picks up great speed and great depth. Boy, doesn't it sound great in theory? Isn't that beautiful? Almost like God knew what he was doing, doesn't it? When I love Angela, it makes her want to respect me. And when Angela respects me, it makes her makes me want to love her. And boy, as long as we're both loving and respecting and respecting and loving, everything's great. Everything's great. But then you insert a little problem, and that's called sin. And sin has a way of throwing that cycle off. Number two. Notice number two, our struggles in marriage. Our struggles in marriage. So why doesn't it work quite the way it ought to? Why do husbands stop loving their wives? Why do wives stop respecting their husbands? Well, letter A, notice sinful baggage. I would propose tonight that a lot of folks enter marriage with very little chance of success. Because in a lot of marriages, the husband, husband never, ever, ever properly loves his wife. In a lot of marriages, the wife never, ever, ever, ever shows true respect and reverence to the husband. I'm not just talking about secular homes. I'm talking about kids who grow up in church. Kids who grow up in church. We've been so brainwashed by our culture, most men don't know how to biblically love their wife. And most women are so so bought into the feminist movement, they don't believe in the concept of revering their husband. By the way, I know that, look, I know how extreme that sounds. I am in touch with culture and society and how it flows. And I know the idea of calling your husband Lord or having the spirit of 1 Peter 3, 6 sounds extreme and odd and strange. But God knew what He was doing when He built this thing. And God had a great plan. Sinful baggage. Turn over with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 13. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. Now, the church of Corinth was a female-led church, at least when 1 Corinthians was written. The women were running the show and the men were sitting on the sidelines uh, like, like a bunch of pansies not doing a whole lot. And Paul addresses a lot of the doctrinal issues and a lot of the church polity issues and, and instructs the women that they need to step out of that role and let the men lead. And then... Then he addresses the men. Right at the end of the chapter, right at the end of the book, he says this in verse 3, 13 rather. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Equip you like men. Be strong. Be strong. Somebody here tonight is thinking to themselves, well, I sure wish my wife would respect me. Maybe it's time to start living a respectable lifestyle. Maybe if you'd start being respectable, your wife would start respecting you. 
A lot of men, they intermarriage and they're looking for a second mother. A mom who's going to tell them what to do. A mom who's going to pick up after them. A mom who's going to coddle them. That's not what God called us men to be. He called us to love and to lead and to nurture our wives and to purify and sanctify. Not to be a basket case that they have to deal with. Listen, if your wife's got kids, she's got enough going on taking care of them. She doesn't need you to be another baby in the house. Man up! It's time you man up! It's time today that we set aside the broken idea of manhood that society has given us and we step up and we say... I'm going to be a biblical Christian man. Now, I don't want to come across as offensive and rude or hard. All right? So let me just take a minute and be compassionate. You know what Satan's been doing for the last, oh, I don't know, probably since forever, but effectively doing in our country for the last hundred years? And then as that hundred years has gone along, this boat's really picked up speed. Satan's been working hard to turn women into men and men into women. Women into men and men into women. You know, he started working on the women first. He told women, you don't need to worry about completing a man, you need to worry about competing with the man. Now let me be really clear on something. Men and women are different. And I'm not just talking about anatomically. I'm talking about in every single way. Men and women are different. But different does not mean less than. God created the woman and he values her just as much as he values the male. In fact, I believe it was Paul. I may not have the right apostle. I believe it was Paul that said neither male nor female. Greek nor Jew. God did not take Eve from Adam's foot or head. He took her from his side. And Eve is viewed as equal in value to God. Just because you're different does not make you less. A lot of women feel like they need to compete with their husband. Ma'am, God did not make you to be his competitor. He made you to be his completer. He started working on women. He changed the way they dress. He changed the way they walked. He changed the way they talked. He took away their natural role of being a nester and a completer and sent them to the workplace. I'm not here tonight saying that women can't work. Listen, if you can take care of your home first and keep your priorities straight and still go to work, then by all means, go to work. But your first responsibility is to raise your children and love your husband. It isn't to out-earn your husband's paycheck and make him feel inferior to you. And when Rosie the Riveter went to work, boy, the fabric of the home began to fall apart. After he had taught the woman broken down the woman and turned her into a man in a lot of ways. Then he started going after men. I can remember being a little boy. I was a little boy in the 80s and early 90s. And I remember boys wearing an earring in their ear. And then it was a necklace and a bracelet. Now, I'm not here to pick on anyone for your jewelry choices. 
But I am here to say, look and see how this softening of the man has happened over the decades. It didn't start all at once. Now where is it? Now we're not supposed to look down on anybody, no matter what they choose to dress or call themselves. Look, you're either a male or a female. There aren't a hundred different options for your gender. There just aren't. That's craziness. And if you want to look at me and call me bigoted, or you want to call me intolerant, it's been that way for thousands of years. It's not going to change now. I don't care what label you put on me. How does a Christian marriage work? Well, the man's got to man up and act like a man, and a woman's got to understand her place and act like a woman. And when those two things happen, boy, then the husband becomes reverable, and the woman becomes lovable. And boy, these things start to work. I, I want to throw this in here real quick before we move on any further. Um, to all the wives in here, and future wives in here, can you look up here at me for a minute? I've, I do this exercise in my office during premarital counseling and, and with some marriages that seem to lack this concept. Can you think of anything more important? I'm talking to the wives here. Can you think of anything more important than knowing that your husband deeply and truly loves you? Or a future husband. Can you think of anything to you more important than that? Than to know he is committed to you and he loves you with all of who he is. This is a chance for you to speak up if you can think of anything more important than that. Now, I'm going to use this as a teaching tool. Ladies, do you know that your husband does not need you to love him? He needs something far greater. Men do not need to be loved. Men need to be respected. To all the husbands in here tonight, or future husbands in here, let me ask you a question. Can you think of anything more important than knowing that your wife respects you, reveres you, I remember one time Angel and I were, were squabbling. Every couple marriage has squabbles from time to time. Ours is no different. We're human beings just like y'all are. All right? Anybody tells you that they, don't have, that they have a perfect marriage and they haven't fought with their spouse in a long time, they are lying to you. Okay? I'll just tell you that right now. They are lying. Lying. Capital L-Y-I-N-G. Lying. Okay? Every marriage has their squabbles. And um, this was early on in our marriage. And, and Angel and I had done the passive-aggressive thing and not talked to each other for a couple days. Y'all never done that kind of thing before, have you? All right. And after a couple of days of, you know, passive-aggressiveness, I was getting something out of the pantry or out of the cabinet, and Angela says to me, Richard, I love you. And I stopped, and I looked at her, and I said, I don't need you to love me. I need you to respect me. I need you to respect me. I think that was a groundbreaking moment in our marriage. It was a groundbreaking moment in our marriage. Some of you ladies need to see your husband doesn't need you to coddle him. He doesn't need you to treat him like a child. He needs you to respect him. We bring sinful baggage into the marriage and we don't act respectable. We don't act lovable. And then we, we may be respectable, but we don't love. We may be lovable, but we don't respect and the whole cycle that God intended and created breaks down. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, quickly. Proverbs 31, verse 10. Paul tells the men, hey, quit you like men. Stand fast in the faith. 
The Bible lays out clearly what it is that a woman is supposed to be and do. Look at verse 10. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight, but verse 11 on down explains what a virtuous woman is. And wow, what a description. By the way, this is a woman who is employed. She's a real estate agent. Okay? Anybody tries to tell you that God is against women working, they don't know Proverbs 31 very well. She, she bought and sold lands, bought and sold fields, verse 16. But her family was first. Her family was first. I find verse 10 interesting. Who can find a virtuous woman? You know why she's... You know what makes something valuable when it's, when it's rare? Right, Brother Barber, it's hard to find. Ladies, if you'll be that virtuous woman, your husband will have no problem or ought to have no problem loving you. And again, this is considering that you have a husband and wife who are committed to doing it the biblical way. I've heard men say things like, I sure wish my wife would act like a queen. Sir? I'm smiling. Sir, if you treat her like a queen, maybe she'd start acting like one. I sure wish my husband wasn't so cantankerous and rude. Maybe if you'd revere him. Maybe if you'd respect what's respectable in him, more aspects of him would become respectable. Letter B, notice selfishness. Selfishness. Now, as I said a few minutes ago, the husband's responsibility is the wife's reward. And the wife's responsibility is the husband's reward. It is the husband's job to love his wife. It's the wife's job to respect her husband. Can I tell you what happens in a lot of marriages? Can I tell you what happens in almost every marriage at some point, if not every marriage? What will happen is the husband will have a bad day and he'll come home and he'll, 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 he'll treat his sweet, loving wife uh, um, a certain way, not her, her. Amen. Okay, this is my wife, not this one. All right, and he'll reach up and he'll grab hold of that oxygen line and he'll pinch it off. And the love ceases. And what a lot of wives will do is they'll say, well, if you're not going to love me, then I'm not going to respect you. And they reach off and cut that off and they'll make some snide remark in front of the kids. To undermine him and put him down. Subconsciously, you knew he wanted to be respected or you wouldn't have been so disrespectful. Or, the wife will grab hold of that respect line and the husband says, listen, if you're not going to respect me, then I'm not going to keep loving you. And then we get into this nasty standoff. And offense builds on top of offense. I've, I've had couples sit in my office and, and it was like layers Layered up. And I mean, it was so layered. You just have to say, look, throw it all out the window. You start loving her. You start respecting him. I don't care if he isn't respectable. Start today. Show that man some reverence and respect. Show that woman some love. Show her you care for her. Bless God, buy her roses or give her a hug or or, or take her out on a date. Uh, Spend some quality time with her, whatever her love language is. 
figure it out and do it and go love that woman and you work to reverence that uh, man. But uh, there's selfishness that sets in. And we say, if I'm not going to get my reward, then I'm not going to fulfill my responsibility. And here's the quote I would encourage every married person or future married person, uh, potentially married person, write this quote down, all right? Focus on your responsibility, not your reward. Focus on your responsibility, not your reward. You say, well, my husband just hasn't loved me. You just keep on respecting that man. You just keep on loving him through your respect. You just keep showing that reverence. And there, if he is a normal Christian man who's in a macro sense, try to make this thing work, he may very well realize his own mistake and say, boy, I don't know how she's revering me when I haven't been very respectable, but I'm going to love all over that woman. And sir, she may not be loving you, but you just or respecting you, but you just keep loving her and loving her and loving her. And you say, I'm not going to worry about my reward. I'm going to worry about my responsibility. And I'm going to focus on that responsibility and focus and focus and focus and focus. And guess what? Good things start to happen. Letter C, notice stubbornness. Stubbornness. Sadly, sadly, there are those who will not, or rather who will grasp this mentally, But they will leave here tonight or they will turn off the live stream tonight and they will change nothing. They will change nothing. They will keep practicing the same broken habits over and over and over and over and over again. And up here you know it, but you refuse to make any changes. You shrug your shoulders and say, eh, eh, whatever. If you keep doing what you've been doing, You're going to keep getting what you've been getting. Now, that's not the deepest thing I've said tonight, but that right there might very well be a wake-up call for somebody. If Jesus Christ were to come down and sit in your living room and evaluate you, sir, on how you love your wife, what kind of score would he give you? If you were to write up a list of changes for you to make, what would be on that sheet? Ma'am, if God were to send an angel down to stand over the top of your house and look down through the ceiling and take notes on all of the uh, uh, ways that you are either revering, respecting, or not revering and respecting your husband, what would he write down that you're doing right? What would he write down that you're doing wrong? What type of score would God give you at the end? What uh, would he say? And if he were to hand you that list... Would you be willing to change anything or would you say, you know what, I've been married this long, I've been doing it this way, and I'm stuck. And listen, we need some marriages that will say, I'm not just going to plateau and camp, I'm going to continue to pursue and make my marriage better and sweeter and and, and more Christ-like in every way. Whether I've been married for just a few years or whether I've been married for 60 years, like uh, like one of the couples in our church, may God give me a better marriage. That's not going to happen if you bring a stubborn spirit to this. Selfishness and stubbornness will choke out any marriage. Sinful baggage that's left undealt with will will choke out any marriage. Number three, notice the solutions for marriage. The solutions for marriage. I'm almost done here. Let's go through these. Letter A, notice focus. Focus. 
Go back to Ephesians 5.33 where we began tonight. I've already alluded to this, so I won't stay on this sub-point long. But let me just make this point one more time from one more angle. Ephesians 5, verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. John Sanchez has a podcast that he does called Strong Fellow Podcast. I don't see John tonight, but uh, John has a podcast. And to all of the men here tonight, I'd recommend that if you listen to podcasts, you subscribe. He does a great job with it. It's it's uh, manhood from a, a Christian perspective, and he covers all kinds of topics and things. John had me in, and he interviewed me. And he was mainly asking about dating, questions about dating. Uh, he got into marriage and, and parenting a little bit, but it was mostly about dating. And one of the first questions he asked me was, what should a man do to prepare for a dating relationship? And I said, what a man, first thing a man should do is look in the mirror and self-evaluate. Self-evaluate. Listen, some of you here tonight, your marriage is struggling. I don't know who that is because you don't come to church and wear a shirt that says, my marriage is struggling. Nobody does that. We all walk in and we act like everything's great. And you smile and you act like everything's normal here, but you climb in the car and you go back to acting cold and upset with each other. Maybe it's been that way for years. I I don't know. And you say, well, I sure hope that my husband or my wife is listening to this tonight. And I'll circle back around what I said in the introduction. Ma'am, sir, you don't need to worry about your spouse. You need to worry about you. Do you know, sir, that if you will love your wife the way Christ loved the church, and you will quit making excuses for yourself, and you'll do it the biblical way? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us this, Charity never faileth. It never faileth. It never faileth. That word never is a strong word. It's an absolute. Charity never faileth. And if you will buckle down and you will show your wife true compassion and pity and love and you'll pour it on thick and you'll pour it on the way Christ poured it on, my friend, no matter how stuck or broken or hurt your marriage is, God can use you to repair it. And listen, nobody here that I know of, maybe someone listening online, but nobody in this room that I'm aware of is a Hosea married to someone like Gomer. And his love was pure and godly. And guess what? He salvages marriage. Charity never faileth. Some of you ladies here tonight thinking, boy, I sure wish my husband listened to that point about charity and love. Listen, how about you focus not on whether or not your husband loves you. How about you start focusing on whether or not you are revering and reverencing your husband the way Sarah reverenced Abraham. Let her be, notice, forgive. Forgive. Turn over to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 19. You take two sinners and you put them in a close relationship, whether that's friends, whether that's co-workers, maybe business owners, brothers and sisters living in a house, but especially a husband and wife who are trying to interlock their souls on such a deeper level. You put two sinners in a relationship like that, you know what you're going to have? You're going to have offenses. You just will. Some of you are thinking, boy, if my husband quit sinning, my marriage sure would be happier. Hey, your husband's not going to stop sinning. Neither is the wife. Offenses are going to come. But when you can learn to deal with those and fix those and move on from those in a quick way, your marriage will skyrocket. Colossians 3.19 is a fascinating verse. It says, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. 
Ooh, I have had some husbands sit in my office. There's a layer of bitterness that is built up in their heart toward their wife. I've seen it go the other way too. Forgiving is so important. How many of you here tonight, no matter the relationship, how many of you here tonight have no problem saying the words and meaning them, I'm sorry? Raise your hand if that's you tonight. You have no problem admitting fault and saying you're sorry. All right? I see some husbands and wives are neither hand is up. Oh, man. How many of you here tonight have no problem? Don't raise your hand, but I just want to ask this question. How many of you here tonight have no problem saying I'm sorry, but you do have a problem accepting I'm sorry from somebody else? Someone apologizes to you and you don't forgive. You just hold on to it. There's a grudge there. And that grudge goes deep. And they can apologize that they're blue in the face and they can mean it in every such way. You don't know how to let go. You don't know how to move on. My friend, you can't have a marriage that functions if you're not willing to forgive and let go. And then there needs to be a mentality between a husband and wife of forever. Letter C, forever. Let's finish the message in Matthew chapter 19 tonight. Matthew chapter 19, verse number 4. Pharisees here are questioning Jesus and they're working to ensnarl him, trap him with his words. Look at verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning, Matthew 19, 4, made them male and female, and said for this cause, this is God's original intent for marriage, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. Verse 6, notice the finality, the permanence in this. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Let not man put asunder. There are some couples who quick to run to the divorce court. There are other couples who would never run to the divorce court. But they're just cohabitating. They are not divorced technically, but they are divorced emotionally. Sleep in separate beds, passing ships in the night, they don't talk to each other. They cut off communication. By the way, if you cut off communication, your marriage is dying or dead. You've got to talk. When the talking stops, the marriage fires die out. Got to talk. Got to communicate. Got to. It's a must. Men, you come home from work, you're tired, sit down and talk to your wife. At some point, you got to talk to her. You got to have a meaningful conversation with her. Now, you may be here tonight and you may not be in the divorce court, but are you becoming one flesh? Is there a lifelong commitment to interweave your souls and become one? Do you have a forever mentality in your marriage? Do you both have that mentality? Boy, when we do it God's way, marriage works great. When we don't, we've got to hit some reset buttons. Probably if you're married tonight, I stepped on your toe somewhere. 
You don't have to come down to the altar, but I'd encourage everyone to come down and kneel. Maybe if you're married, meet your spouse here at the altar and hold hands and just commit to following the biblical model. To our youth in the room tonight, to our single adults in the room tonight, will you commit to becoming who God wants you to be so that if He has somebody for you, you'll be ready when that relationship happens. Lord, tonight we ask that you'd help us to take the truths that have been preached out of your word. Help us, Lord, to focus, to forgive, and have a mentality of forever. Help us, Lord, not to follow the cultural model that leads to brokenness and disaster. Lord, help us to follow the biblical model of loving and respecting. I pray, Lord, that men would be men and women would be virtuous women. Lord, repair us where we're broken. Help us to acknowledge where we fall short. And help us, Lord, to become the husbands and wives that you'd have us to be. God, if White Oak Baptist Church doesn't have strong families, then White Oak Baptist Church will not be a strong church. I pray, Lord, that the husband would lay down his stubbornness first and lead the way. Set aside the selfishness first and show humility. In Jesus' name, amen.